I realized the importance of people early on in this business. I had to surround myself with the very best and, and they had to be industry leaders. I needed people that were so good at that skill that others would join our business mm. just to work with those people. Mm. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Read Sun Tzu, The Art of War. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Welcome to another episode of Profitable Property Management. We are here recording live in studio and I have Steve Hart. Steve, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for the invite, Jordan. Really appreciate it. Well, Steve, it's a pleasure. I want to hear a little bit about your background and your journey and just hear some highlights from your entrepreneurial story. Let's go back to the beginning. Where are you from originally? Uh, originally from Salt Lake City, Utah, and uh, um, grew up there, moved to Southern California for about 15 years and uh, loved Southern California, but uh, got married and decided I needed a place that was a little more affordable to, to raise four sons and moved to Utah back to Utah. And I've been there for the last 20 years. And uh, when uh, when I got to Utah, got involved with a friend in a construction business that was custom home construction. We did the big, at the time, 20 years ago, million dollar plus houses were pretty big and nice and unique in Utah. And, and that's where we specialized. And, and in 2008 hit and uh, I lost everything lost the entire business, the developing company. My wife was a designer. Uh, her business took a devastating blow, as you can imagine, designing and modeling these these big high-end homes. And so we lost our entire business. Ouch. Don't, and what did you get stuck with? I mean, this is always the home builder's fear, right? To be mid-build and to get stuck. Let's park on this. I want to hear some details. Yeah. It, it uh it was interesting because I was the kind of businessman that, you know, I considered myself very conservative, um, very, uh, you know, conservative in the, in the projects we picked. We weren't the, the builders that were doing really crazy um, development projects and investing, you know, just tons of money into those things. We, we were very conservative and we still got caught in that, that 2008 mess. And, uh, more than just a construction company, it was also the development company. We had a development company where we'd buy the land, we'd uh, you improve those those lands and then build on them. And so we lost projects, not just housing, but we lost land that were was partially developed. I mean, it was devastating. And uh, what was so hard for me was, you know, I felt like I was the conservative guy. I felt like I was doing it right, not getting too overextended and it still caught us. And it really hurt. It was a blow that uh, took everything I'd built up to that stage of my life. And uh, I found myself sitting there going, what do I do next? You know, I had a wife and four young sons and I was wondering how I'm going to put food on the table because wow. when you lose everything, wow. you lose everything. I mean, I had banks coming and taking cars and, and things like that. It was, it was bad. And uh, I had a good friend of mine that uh, was in the property management industry. And he said, Steve, you need to get into property management. And I literally just 
laughed out loud. I, I think I laughed out loud at him. I was like, property management? Yeah, right. I mean, I can't think of a more blue collar, you know, kind of competitive, low profitability in my opinion at the time. I, I thought of all, and I told him, I told him all the negative things that I knew about property management. And he in turn laughed back at me and he said, I don't think you know property management like I do. He said, I have never had a situation where an economy, a bad economy or a bad real estate market has hurt my business. And, and when he said that, I listened. I mean, it was, it kind of cut through to me hard because I had just lost everything that I'd built. And so I kind of listened up a little bit. And I said, well, tell me about your property management business. And he owned a, a, a large property management business in Las Vegas at the time called Cromwell Management. And uh, he was telling me about Cromwell and how four employees, none of which had higher than a high school education, were bringing him, you know, just a, a very profitable business uh, day in, day out, you know, didn't matter whether the markets were hot or cold, he collected a great revenue from this business. And he literally showed me some of his profitability because I didn't believe him. And when I saw the kind of money he was making off his property management business, I said, I got to check this out. So we drove down to Las Vegas and, and looked at his business and, and uh, I thought, okay, I can do this. You know, property management's not rocket science. I'll just use his business model and I'll start a property management business in Salt Lake. And I started looking into, you know, how do I do this business? You know, how do I become trained? Where do I get the education? You know, when in construction and real estate, you know, every state has training courses and programs where you get licensed. And then on top of that, you can join any one of a hundred different you know, mentors or uh, real estate franchises that have their own training courses. And there, uh, uh, you know, I, I knew that with real estate, but in regards to property management, I didn't find anything. I mean, there were some organizations like NARPM that I could join and kind of learn from some of the other property managers that were out there, but there wasn't really anyone or any mechanism that could just, that I felt could train me how to be a successful property manager and which tools and software to use and things like that. And, and I went back to my buddy and I expressed this to him and he said, well, why don't we, instead of you doing a property management business, why don't we start a property management franchise? And again, I said, well, <laughs> sounds cool, but first of all, I don't know property management and I surely don't know franchising. He said, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. You know, I was an entrepreneur. He was an entrepreneur. And uh, literally, we hired an attorney to start developing our franchise disclosure documents. And the two of us together started uh, Property Management Inc., uh, a national property management franchise. Here we are 13 years later. We're the largest property management brand in America right now with over 350 locations, all independently owned and operated. We manage over 25 billion in assets under management. And the cool thing, Jordan, is we're just getting started. I mean, we still really feel like we're just getting this thing off the ground. So uh, it's pretty exciting. 
You know, what's interesting and what sticks out to me in that story, you think about the value that the entrepreneur creates. What I think, what makes sense to me is that the entrepreneur is creating the most value at inception. You stay with it, you keep operating, you're there, you know, long after inception adding value. But that act of inception, that act of belief, I mean, how many people are there that have that would have done that, would say, I haven't started a property management business, and I don't know anything about franchising, and therefore I'm gonna do both. Not common. <laughs> Not common. I don't know, I don't know what, what muse struck you for that to be the case, but to me it's really pure story and commentary on the value that the entrepreneur creates. It's belief. Yeah. The the functional things you did, paperwork legal. If you look at the constituent pieces, I just have to assume none of this is that hard. I mean, my, with my own journey, a lot of things I've done, anybody could do, but very few people will. Where do you think that impulse, that unique and rare impulse for you to start something like that came from? Yeah, it's funny you point that out. You know, I look back on that decision to do something like start a property management franchise. And I think that was crazy. You know, what was I thinking? And if I would have known what I knew today, I would never have done it, right? But luckily, I kind of grew up as an entrepreneur. I had done several uh, entrepreneurial ventures, and I'd been successful in some, um, as you heard, uh, not successful in others. But uh, I think I, you know, you're right. I I just didn't have that fear of taking a leap of faith and in a project that I saw there was a need. And I just figured, you know what, what I don't know, we'll figure it out along the way. And it sounds really crazy because nowadays entrepreneurs, you know, I think they get so caught up in having to know exactly what their business plan is and how they're going to execute that plan from the get-go. And sometimes it just takes, you know, rolling up your sleeves and making it happen. The audacity, the insanity to ask the question, why not me? Mm -hmm. Why not? Yeah. Nobody gives you permission. Nobody tells you that you can, or it's okay. Did you have any entrepreneurs in the family? Was that a family background at all? Uh, you know, my dad was an MBA grad and, and did some business, but mainly worked for the man. And I, I grew up watching him have a job, and, uh, it was just not my thing. I always wanted to be my own boss and do my own thing. And, and I worked for some big companies right out of college, but decided pretty much that, uh, I wanted to be my own boss and, and, and run the business. And I always thought, you know, someday I'm going to create that widget. Someday I'm going to have that unique um, idea mm. that, uh, that I'll be able to run my own business. And I beat myself up, you know, almost daily trying to find that, that one thing that hadn't been created before. And it's funny because we started this franchise, but we weren't the first, there was another company out there. I didn't know when we started this, but there was another company that was doing it. And then there was another company that was doing it around the same time that, uh, we started PMI. And uh, sometimes you don't need to be the first mm -hmm. or the only game in town. You just need to find a way to do it better and uh, just make it work. Yeah. You're asking the question, is it useful? Is it helpful? Is it making people's lives better? In this case with property management, I'm interested to hear your take on the franchising game. Franchising 
is a is a concept that exists far outside of property management. There's, there's a world of franchising and you have folks, one thing that's interesting to me is you have folks that buy into a property management franchise and then you realize that what they like is franchising. They mm -hmm. own franchises in other organizations. What is the, the draw? What is the essence? What is the, the core proposition that franchising offers? Yeah, it's really unique. And, uh, you know, like you point out, there's, there's people that just love franchising and have multiple different, you know, brands under their, you know, their business portfolio. And then there's people that just think of it as the F word, you know, franchising is like bad and oh, these are the big guys that are going to take over all the mom and pops. And so you see this, you know, kind of polar, you know, uh, response to franchising. And I was not a franchise guy, as I explained earlier, you know, I didn't even understand what franchising really was all about when we got in. We just wanted to create an opportunity for people to be able to do property management at a higher level, quicker and better than what was being offered to them. And so, uh, so yeah, franchising, uh, we see people that uh, are adding our franchise to their real estate franchise, uh, to their um, tax service franchise, to their maid cleaning franchise, and we're part of their portfolio. Uh, we see people that are just people that want to get into property management. Maybe they are doing or have attempted to do property management on their own and realize there's a better way. Maybe they don't have to do this on their own and they can plug into a proven system and a brand that is doing this nationally. And uh, so we see all different aspects, you know, and another area that we're trying to push is uh, going after this, what we call a conversion market where you've got a lot of property managers out there. Our industry, as you know, is just dominated by smaller mom and pop shops. You know, one, two man shows that are managing maybe 50, 100 doors under management, and they just don't have the tools to really scale that business. And uh, we're, we're uh, taking those smaller uh, shops and saying, hey, don't do this alone anymore. There's a there's a national franchise uh, that uh, has already proven out all these systems. Just plug your business in. You can even keep your name. We'll just bolt on a little PMI at the beginning of it, and you can be, you know, PMI Jordan Property Management, and uh, and uh, that's a big focus for us to help consolidate this very fragmented industry of property management. And let me say, I love, I don't know if you coined it, but this term, I didn't sell out. I mm -hmm. bought in. Yeah. We used that. <laughs> I thought that was a really clever we term. We used it. Yeah. We, uh, when we first started doing that uh, conversion pitch, that's what we wanted to, to pitch. You know, there's a lot of big companies out there that are going out and buying property management companies right now. Um, and, uh, it's, it's their approach to, you know, consolidate this industry, go out and buy the big guys and we'll create a big brand, uh, through, uh, you know, these, these bigger companies, our approach is very different than that. We're taking the little guys, the guys with a hundred, 200 doors or the brand new guys in the industry. And our motto is we want to create successful entrepreneurs. And we're helping these people that are struggling or just want to do it better, do it more efficiently. You know, we've built very proven systems, technology, training, personal mentors, and training coaches to help these franchisees on a day-to-day -day basis to plug in and do it right the first time.
You know, I am very interested to talk through these dynamics between the franchisor and the franchisee. Again, they're common, they're bigger, and they extend beyond PMI. One of the dynamics is the franchisor wants to create value. It's the whole point. You're trying to have the training, the systems, the programs, the coaching, and there's this delicate balance and interplay between enablement, equipping, and personal responsibility. Franchisee has to step up. It's their business. It's not your business. Mm -hmm. You're helping them. It's their business. And furthermore, this promise of the help and the support that they will get at times can, certain circumstances, attract people who are looking for a little bit of a lower lift. Mm -hmm. There are some folks that really like, they're all in. They're assuming they're going to do all the work, but you're going to help them make it go faster. There are other folks that maybe we're looking for a little bit of a lower lift, like maybe you were going to grow the business. How do you manage, think about what's what's been your experience over time kind of maturing in dealing with that whole dynamic, yeah. that dichotomy? <clears throat> I love that you bring that question up because as a franchisor, we deal with that. And I didn't know this would be the case because as an entrepreneur coming in and starting a franchising company, I just assumed every entrepreneur that bought the franchise would be gung-ho and they'd do whatever we told them to do, right? Plug into the system. And it sounds so easy. But one of the tough things about franchising is you've got all these independent operators. They're not employees. They don't get a paycheck from the franchisor. These are employees that buy the, the brand, they buy the training, they buy the technology, and they go out there to their home office in a lot of cases and they're expected to, to run the system. And sometimes these guys that said they wanted to be an entrepreneur have always dreamed of owning their own business. They put that $50,000 investment in because that's what it costs to really get our franchise up and running. And Plus, in some ways, that's the easiest part is writing the check. We're considered a low-cost franchise. You know, a PMI franchise at 50000 bucks is way less than going buying a Chick-fil-A at a couple million or whatever it is. So, you know, because we're a low-cost franchise opportunity, sometimes we attract these guys that want to break away from the J-O-B and they want to be an entrepreneur. They've always dreamed of owning their business. And, oh, you know, I've I've always kind of had interest in real estate and, you know, maybe property management's my thing. So they buy the franchise, but they just maybe don't have what it takes to be an entrepreneur. They don't have that mindset of just getting out and doing the work. They want to be told what to do. And, uh, you know, it's, it, that's been the hard thing about franchising is sometimes, not always, but sometimes we have uh, situations where our franchisees just aren't willing to do what we train them to do and, and follow the system. That's where you got to tighten up the documentation, the FRD, make sure expectations are really clear. There's agreements and then there's expectations, big difference between the two. What you just got at, I relate to personally, Steve, because I think there's a really critical distinction. I want to be delicate with this. In my own life, I grew up with a dad who, to me, was an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. He was in wealth management. He worked for a firm, but he was in sales, and his sales results were entirely up to him. Mm -hmm. And in my 10, 11, 12-year-old brain, that was an entrepreneur. The blessing in that was that entrepreneurship was on, was on the menu of life choices, and therefore, I chose it. Had it not been on the menu, I don't know if I would have chose it. 
I was really grateful for that. As an adult, getting older, I saw this distinction teased out when my dad left that organization to go into a more independent paradigm. So instead of the dramatically lower commission, but the sheltering of the organization, the back office support, he went out on his own. And that was when I got clear on the difference between being a high earning producer and being an entrepreneur that is responsible for the whole shebang. Mm -hmm. Though not only are those things different, in some ways they may be more different than they are similar. In the end, that story was revived because my, my brother and some other partners came into the business and turned it into a great ending. But I think it's emblematic of what we're getting at here. You can look at starting a franchise and, and entrepreneurship and not be quite clear on what, what skill set exactly you're having to leverage. Mm -hmm. Back to the idea of what is the unique value of the entrepreneur? Will, belief, ownership, accountability. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, your story about your childhood, you know, made me think, you know, I've got four sons. And it made me think back to while I was starting this business and, and others before it. And it made me think, you know, I wonder what my sons uh, are thinking about with uh, being an entrepreneur or being, uh, you know, an employee and just climbing that ladder. You know, that's not a bad option either. You know, people go to school to get these great jobs and climb that ladder at a big corporation. And, and uh, for me, my mindset, what I liked was being an entrepreneur. Um, I wonder what my sons uh, have picked up through seeing some tough times, you know, with what I was dealt in some of my business uh, businesses that I started. I know my oldest is eight or 19 now, uh, just graduated from high school. He's an entrepreneur through and through. Mm. So I would think that maybe some of those tough moments for him, and he was the oldest, so he saw the most. He saw Made, the cars being taken. Oh yeah. He saw homes getting lost. He saw, you know, having to go on uh, discounted school lunch programs, you know, because we didn't have the money to, to even pay for lunches. And, and uh, you know, you would think maybe that would cause a child to want to run to the ladder of the corporate ladder and, and do that. In turn, my oldest, I see him entrepreneur. I mean, he is starting businesses. He's already um, started a few businesses and been very successful at 19. Um, my next sundown, a little bit more conservative. And I see him doing the opposite. I see him doing the college degree, going and getting that stable job. He, uh, he'll, he'll climb that ladder and do that thing. So it, it's, it's interesting to see what uh, you know, what your experience was, Jordan, in viewing your father and now thinking back on what my kids ultimately will pull from what they've seen from what we've done. Yeah. It's amazing how much range there can be within one set of kids, these different temperaments and mm -hmm. biases. Where I'm at on that nexus is I'm really clear that there's not going to be any guilt trip from me towards my kids that they have to be an entrepreneur. There will be some, there will be some expectations around involvement, exposure, using this gift of what I get to do as a medium to expose them to some things. But there's not going to be some pressure of you're going to disappoint me if you're not an entrepreneur. Um, I'm grateful for the experience, but I don't, I don't moralize about it. It's a thing to do. And as I think, as I've gotten older and as I've matured, I've recognized that from where I sit, entrepreneurship is a great thing to do if you want to be an entrepreneur. If you're after money, I can't tell you with a straight face that this is the best way to make money. What's a great way to make money? How about being in sales? 
how about working for a large corporation? How about working for a pharmaceutical company really committing to your craft? There are more predictable ways and paths to make money. When somebody wins the lotto, we don't look at that and say, well, winning the lottery must be a great investment. Mm -hmm. However, I can guarantee this. If you really enjoy the act of entrepreneurship, if that's the turn on, if that's the reward, it'll work for you. And for me, I vibe that way, but I don't expect that from 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 everybody. And that's great. It's great to have the diversity of, of talents in that way. Yeah. Entrepreneurship is not for everyone. And uh, I've learned that. And I see that uh, with our franchise business. You know, you see people that really want to do it, but they're not willing to do it or they don't have that mindset to really you know, make things happen on their own, even through a franchise, which, you know, cuts that learning curve down immensely. So Steve, I'm also curious to get your take on growth. In general, businesses want to grow. Back to this distinction of, I want it, but do I really want it? Most businesses would tell you they want to grow. And growth is exciting. One of the greatest aspects of it that's rewarding for me is that it gives my staff a growth path. If the company is growing aggressively, I can promise them that the la- the rungs on the ladder are increasing, therefore you can climb. And I'm so grateful to be able to provide that kind of an opportunity. By contrast, sometimes growth can be a bit of a, a guilt trip. I'll use that word again for, let's say, an operator that gets to 300 units, and that's kind of their cap. That's about what they can mm-hmm. manage. But there's this pressure, this expectation for them. How do you navigate that conversation with franchisees to balance the limitations of their ability, the ambitions of their lifestyle, with also wanting to make the most of their God-given abilities. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, we've we've built very simple processes and procedures for our franchisees to follow, and uh, they come into the system and they plug into an online training platform immediately. It takes them roughly a couple months to get through that online training. And then we bring them into a, a week at our corporate office in Salt Lake City. And they spend a week with our corporate team reinforcing live the training that they received. And uh, the reason why we put so much emphasis on this initial training for these franchisees is to target and really emphasize the importance of growth. And it starts out with just going out and getting their very first property in many cases. Remember, a lot of our franchisees have never done property management before. And so we're helping people go out and get in their first door. And then it's their second door. And uh, we take those victories with them and we celebrate those with them. And it's really like a big family where we are working together to help them grow this, this new business. And then in the conversion example, We've got these fran- or these property managers that come into our business. They've got maybe a hundred doors, but like you mentioned, they've just been stuck. They can't transition and get uh, out of that uh, you know hundred door level. And they plug into our training, start doing the marketing, advertising, lead gen that we 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 do, and we teach them how to do. And they start picking up more doors. And another big thing with our franchise is the growth that we help them with in profitability. You know, we have over 50 revenue streams that we train and teach our franchisees to tap into in property management. You know, the average property manager maybe has four, five, or six revenue streams, while our franchisees have 50. 
And so we can take that existing property manager with the 100 doors and literally help them double their revenue per door just by tapping into all these different revenue streams that, uh, that we offer through PMI. And so those are the things that help with growth. When a franchisee can see whether they're brand new and they could just start seeing, you know, four or five doors at a time, start clicking into their portfolio, or if they're an existing property manager that just joined our brand and they can start seeing their bottom line double because of these great revenue streams that we're plugging into, that growth is fun to see. It's fun to see the excitement and the the just enthusiasm that a franchisee has to to grow a business. Now, this is interesting. You bring up profitability. I hadn't considered this aspect of the franchise or franchisee relationship. The franchisee, they're paying a fee, they're paying a, paying a royalty of some kind. So you think about, okay, well, what's your interest in them being profitable? I suppose the obvious interest is that you want them feeling good about paying that fee. And if they're not making any money, they're probably not feeling good about paying that fee. So there is kind of a vested interest in you, there's there's alignment in that perspective of you wanting to see them be profitable. Absolutely. You know, it might sound a little trite, but uh, we only make money as the franchisor when the franchisee makes money. We really only succeed when they succeed. And so it's a high priority for us to make sure these guys are successful. When we have a failure, when we have a franchisee that goes through the training and that just doesn't engage or maybe doesn't do the business or maybe they're doing it part-time and, uh, you know, it, it hurts us to not see a franchisee just have rapid growth. Um, you know, we, we want everyone to succeed. And so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things. Luckily, the majority of our franchisees really do well. And so we're really able to, you know, see and, and witness that success and that massive growth rate. There are the few that, uh, that just aren't willing to do it and, uh, and follow the systems. Or sometimes we see the guy that comes in and they've got a better way. Oh, well, thanks, PMI. I really appreciate the training. But here in, you know, you know my city, we don't do property management like that. And they think that they uh, have got a better way of doing it. And we've seen some franchisees go down that path and you know, a year later come back and say, okay, sorry, uh, I'm ready to listen now. That's always a good one, the, the market specific one. Mm -hmm. I can't do that in my market. I won't fly in my market. Yeah, mm -hmm. you definitely hear some of that. So when we talk about growth, and I think part of what we talked about in the wind up to this before show was you can grow vertically, you can grow horizontally. Let's talk about the different business units. If we ever do this again, I'll bring in some more guests and we can have a full-blown debate because right. Steve, I know people feel differently than you do on this topic. You are bringing people into multiple adjacent markets. I mentioned before that when I say I'm in property management, people often try to relate and I've, it's actually not that relatable because I don't do multifamily. I'm not really in commercial, not short-term, not HOA. Mm -hmm. It's really just single family, third-party residential property management. That's kind of what I have exposure to. And in general, our industry doesn't really get around a ton with these other verticals. Like I'm, I'm trying to reference some of these other organizations and I don't even know, I guess CAI is mm -hmm. one out there in the HOA world. Yeah. I have no idea what they are in commercial or, uh, or short term. We mm -hmm. just, we don't, there's not a ton of cross pollination. How did you get to this conclusion? You, you did start with short term, correct? Uh, we started with the long term, but I love that you asked this because, you know, I'd love to say that from the get-go 13 years ago, my business partner and I had this massive, you know, 
plan of building a property management franchise that was going to cater to all four sectors of property management, which are residential, association, commercial, and uh, short term. And but that wasn't the case, you know. Remember, I didn't have property management experience when I came into this thing, and we got our our franchise going with commercial and residential as kind of our target. We knew those were kind of the bigger markets at the time, and we wanted to offer training and support and a franchise to the the sectors that were the biggest. And uh, we sold the franchise to uh, a guy uh, moving from Canada on an E two visa, and uh, moving moving from Canada to Maui. And he got over there and he started following our residential training. And after about a year of kind of just doing okay, he came to us and he said, um, there's a lot bigger opportunity in Maui for me to do short-term uh, uh, management. Are you guys okay if I do short-term management? And, you know, 11, 12 years ago when this, this came up, you know, VRBO, Airbnb, I hadn't even heard of really. And here this franchisee is saying, let me, you know, do short-term rental management, which we didn't know anything about. And uh, I just said, hey, if you've got opportunity there, go for it, but you got to pay us royalty on your success. This franchisee within a few years became our top performing franchisee. And he was exercising in the short-term sector, which we didn't even provide him any tools, any training. We did the marketing for him, but that was it. And so as we watched the success of this franchisee, we thought, well, why can't we learn the short-term uh, industry? We brought in some industry experts that rolled out a training, created all the marketing tools and, and uh, things necessary for us to be a resource to provide the very best training for short-term managers. And we rolled that out. We call them pillars at PMI. So we rolled out a short-term pillar. Well, the same thing happened with association, which I could say we, we thought this up in the onset, but uh, we share a building with an HOA management company. And you know, I watched this company growing in Salt Lake City and was talking to the owner of that company. And I said, hey, um, could you teach us a few things about association management? You know, Jordan, you said a term that we use all the time, which is cross-pollination. You know, these sectors of property management, they really cross-pollinate with each other. You know, in, a, in an association, for example, we know that one third of all properties, residential properties in the US are rentals. So it'd be the same case if you're in an HOA, which I am, I know that uh, one third of the properties in my neighborhood are rentals. Well, if you're managing that association, collecting those association dues, you know every one of those owners that's paying those dues that's not a resident that's more of a rental property owner. And so I can target market as an HOA manager, single family management too, right? I also know when properties are coming on the market and as a property manager, I've got a real estate license. And so I can target brokerage opportunities. Uh, we have a brokerage arm of our franchise. Most people don't know that. So we're four pillars of property management and we train and teach on real estate uh, solutions as well to help our franchisees do more transactions. Property management is a brokerage 
just dream. We create brokerage opportunities for our franchisees. And most people, when they buy a PMI franchise, they don't think they're going to be getting into the real estate business, but it's the best backdoor opportunity uh, for someone that really wants to increase uh, real estate sales uh, to be in property management. Two things that stick out to me, what you said. The first is the franchisee comes to you and says, can I do short term? And mm -hmm. you say, yes. Now, in a situation like that isn't also an opportunity to say, no, don't deviate from the playbook mm -hmm. or the franchise or we know what works, don't deviate. But in this case, you chose flexibility instead of rigidity. That's interesting. Additionally, when you talk about moving into some of these other verticals that you didn't know, I've had multiple times in my career where I was looking at an opportunity and somebody said that to me, well, you don't know. You don't know it, therefore you can't do it. And what an, you know, for an entrepreneur, that's not a great thing to tell an entrepreneur. It's like, oh, oh, really? I can't do that because I don't know it. Really? Mm -hmm. Is that how that works? That's the exact opposite of how entrepreneurship works, actually. If you tell me that, I'm going to learn and I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it well. The juice needs to be worth the squeeze though, right? You don't mm -hmm. want to walk around life making decisions purely because you have a chip on your shoulder. The flip side of this is that there's plenty of folks that would say, Steve, HOA, it doesn't work. Short term, it doesn't work. Commercial, they're different animals. They're too different. You're diluting focus. Mm -hmm. Instead of mastering one, you're master of none. How do you respond to those 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 ideas? Yeah. Um, another great question. You know, we have been our competitors that just focus on maybe one or two sectors of property management. They say, hey, you know, PMI, they're the jack of all trades, but the master of none. We've heard that. And in fact, early on, when we started rolling out these pillars, we, we dealt with this where franchisees just see that shiny object, right? Of additional, Hey, they, they've got, uh, they might be managing residential property management. And then an owner comes to him and says, Hey, can you do my short-term rental too? You know, one door. And all of a sudden the franchisee wants to be a short-term manager. Well, early on, when we started rolling these pillars out, we allowed that to happen and it created just the biggest nightmare where we had all these franchisees trying to do all four pillars or just two or three pillars and it really spread them thin. And as a new franchisee, especially, you do need to focus. And so we require our franchisees to participate in one pillar at a time. And until they're proficient in that pillar, mm -hmm. in other words, they've got it really up and running and rocking and rolling. They're profitable. They've got maybe personnel hired, whether they're VAs or in-house people, um, they've got that pillar, that part of their business um, just dialed in. Uh, only until then will we allow them to expand to additional pillars. So most of our franchisees only really target one of these sectors. Um, some of them start with associations. Some of them come in and just do short term. And the cool thing is, and this is what's been kind of really the the edge that we've had over our competitors is people love the ability when they're buying a business or investing in their future they love the ability to have some creative expansion and opportunity Options. to do other things mm -hmm. you know every single franchisee that comes into our business they don't have the vision of just doing one pillar they have the vision of ultimately opening two or three uh, pillars in our franchise. And we love that. We welcome that. No, we're not going to let you do them all three at a time unless they come in with a big team, with the, have three or four 
people that can each train in each pillar. Uh, we make them focus and follow that training and really get professional at that one pillar and and then expand from there. And that model has really worked for us well. So staging makes sense to me. At the same time, they're disparate, but they're close. I want to hear more about the cross-pollination within one company. Yeah. The attraction for, let's say, within residential property management, let's say pent rent or a resident benefits package, it's like it's like it's bolt-on. It's easy. I'm doing the same mm-hmm. thing, getting a little bit more money. In this case, if I believe that I could do HOA using the same staff, lower lift as opposed to separate business units, separate licensing, separate people, how much overlap is there if when I'm if, if my starting point is long-term single family? You know, these four pillars, I'm going to use our language. You know, these four pillars of property management are very very different. I mean, there is a very big difference between a short-term rental property manager and a long-term. A long-term, you're dealing with owners and tenants. You've got long-term contracts, typically 12 months at a time. You've got a tenant that moves in after you do all the screening, you get that tenant in. Sometimes you only check on that tenant a couple times a year, possibly. Now compare that to short-term where it's not management, it's called hospitality. You as a property management, you're hosting these guests in an owner's home. And you've got to create that environment of, hey, sheets are got to be clean and the remote's got to work and the welcome message has got to be dialed. I mean- That doesn't sound like property management, Steve. It's a a different language entirely. The marketing, the way you go after the owners of a vacation rental property are very different than the way you target market- uh, a long-term residential property owner. So they're very different businesses. And that's why we categorize them very differently. Now, back to your question of cross-pollination. The reason why we do this and we offer these pillars, even though they are very different, they're different businesses, is we love the ability to cross-pollinate. There is so many opportunities for these businesses to feed off of each other. And as a property manager matures and grows that business for them to be able to service an association and also some vacation rentals, it just feeds off of each other and it allows that franchisee to grow their business so much quicker because they're, you know, being able to tap into these opportunities being tapped into this, you know, these, these multiple pillars. So feeding off makes sense. Back to my question about the commonality of the cost structure. What about personnel? Great example is, are we talking as I go in this staged model and I move from long-term into let's say HOA, are we talking about new distinct bodies for that function? Am I able able to share labor? How does that work? Absolutely. You know, uh, it was funny when we first introduced association to our franchise, uh, I remember it being at a NARPM conference and we had a banner up in our booth that said, uh, you know, cause NARPM's a bunch of property managers and long-term property managers. And we had this banner that says, have you considered adding association management to your business? Mm. And you should have heard, uh, the comments that we received that week from all these tried and tested property managers. They told us we were crazy and how association management is just an entirely different animal. And, you know, a property, a a residential property manager can't do association and you guys are crazy. Um, 
I'm not kidding. Literally two years later, association management was being so readily added to many of these property managers' portfolios that they're now teaching uh, adding association management to your uh, long-term business at NARPM uh, uh, conferences now. I've, I've seen it for a couple of years in a row. Wow. We're at an event here in Austin this week. And uh, I was just here uh, yesterday talking to some property managers, two property managers. These are long-term residential property managers were telling me how they've just added short-term rental management to their businesses. So this mindset of these four unique, distinct, uh, different businesses uh, and how they can't feed off each other, they can't, you can't work them together. I think that's going away. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to start seeing more property managers realize this cross-pollination component and how they can really build off each other. Now, yeah, it does take a little bit more resources. You can share personnel. And, and some of these you know, tasks that uh, they do, because property management, whether you're doing short term or long term, it's still property management. You're still you know, uh, looking after an asset uh, for that owner, and you're still protecting that. You're still collecting revenues, whether it's off a five-day booking or a one-month rental check, still similar activities. And so even though they're very different in the software and the processes and the marketing, the tasks themselves can be very similar. Well, I can tell you that the common theme across those four different verticals is people. Mm -hmm. In all cases, in all verticals, for all businesses, small or large, you have to have great people that care and that are motivated. I want to hear a little bit about your journey as a manager. My experience has been a big part of my unique gifting and ability is as an entrepreneur. And sometimes that translates to also being a great manager, sometimes not. For myself, the entrepreneurship, the zero to one, the from something to nothing really turns me on and gets me excited. There are some aspects of management that are a little bit more rote, a little bit more heavy, but inevitably you have to learn quite a bit about that. And part of that obviously is delegation, bringing on the right people. What has your journey looked like in terms of selecting and cultivating great people? Yeah, it's been the key. You know, uh, my skill set is in being an entrepreneur and and having vision of and, and creating those things. I'm not the kind of guy that can really get into the trenches. You're not ops guy. I'm not, and I I didn't know that. I didn't realize that because I'd always done these entrepreneurial ventures where I kind of did everything, and so I thought I was an entrepreneur and I was good at everything. But then when we started PMI and especially when it started to grow and I need to start bringing on people, I realized I can't do that and I can't run ops. I can't put together the training. I'm not a trainer. Remember, I wasn't even a property manager prior to this business. And so I realized the importance of people early on in this business. I had to surround myself with the very best and and they had to be industry leaders. I needed people that were so good at that skill that others would join our business mm. just to work with those people. Mm. And so we've done a really good job over the years of bringing in industry leaders to head up these different pillars that we run. We've got the very best uh, you know, in the industry to teach our franchisees. So our franchisees, whether they're new to property management or not, 
they plug into industry leaders right from day one. Those leaders are their coaches and they're learning from the experts and, uh, and scaling their businesses at a quicker rate because of the people that are behind the brand. And, and that wasn't me. That wasn't me that put, uh, made these processes and the systems work. It was these, uh, the, the personnel that we brought in to do it. And, and I, I'm glad you bring the importance of people in because that's what franchising is all about. You know, it's a family of people working together and building a brand uh, so everyone can share off that success. Steve, the first part of that share was really relatable to me. That is the idea of being the entrepreneur and therefore you do everything. You're yeah. in charge. So obviously you do everything, right? That felt heavy to me for a long time, Steve, because you know what? There's a lot of stuff I am just, I'm not good at. Yeah. If I'm being honest, I'm quite poor at. Let's put accounting on that list. Mm -hmm. That's not a strength for me. Oddly enough, I was part of the team that wrote the NARPM accounting standards and I'm able to get in that zone if it's really clear what the outcome is, why the outcome matters. But when it comes to the technical details, I'm weak. There was a season of life where I felt some some guilt about that. Like, man, I'm the entrepreneur. I'm so, I need to know how to do everything. And come to find out, I actually don't. I don't have to know how to do everything. What I do need to do is to be able to cast a vision that can attract great people and to let them lead and to empower and mentor them. I love that aspect of the share. When you think about the kind of the thrill of the chase with talent specifically, I got to say, that's one of the most exciting aspects of what I do. You hear these best practices of have a great pipeline, always be recruiting. What does that look like in practice for you in terms of that, that awareness? Are you hiring for specific roles? Is it just a general kind of talent search? Where have some of your best hires come from and what does that practice look like for you? You know, uh, that's a tough one to answer because we, we've grown out of necessity. Sometimes we hire off of just where we need, you know, that next person and that, that next role to, to fill. And because of our multi-pillar approach, you know, we've got a two to four year uh, trajectory on what we're planning on hiring and and what senior management uh, we're looking at bringing in. We just recruited the number one real estate trainer uh, in the country. This gal has been uh, the senior trainer for one of the biggest real estate brands in the country for the last 17 years. We just hired her uh, this month, earlier this month to run PMI brokerage. You know, we needed the very best to train our franchisees how to do these brokerage transactions and how to get more of them. And if they want to bring in a few realtors under them, they can. Hey, we're we're a property management business, but as these businesses grow, they see that uh, ability and the need to do more of these types of transactions. So um, that was a hire that we'd had on our to-do list for over a year. And it took me a year to find the right person for that because I needed the very best. I needed someone that knew franchising. I need, needed someone that knew not just how to do realty and brokerage, but I needed someone that had trained others for years. Mm -hmm. So when we plug them into our franchise with over 350 realtors right off the bat, we can hit the ground running with proven training and processes. And so, uh, so you know, back to your question, we project these hires that we need based on our, our growth plans and we go out and find the very best that we can. It's, it's one of our core values to, to bring in top 
performing talent to our franchise. And it's really about the people. Uh, it's not so much the business, it's the people that are in the business we've learned that really make this work. I recall hearing Tony Robbins describe his people talent journey as being, first, I really realized that I needed people I could trust. Then I realized I needed people with skills. And then I realized I needed people I could trust with skills today <laughs> that had the skills now. How do you think about cultivating and growing from within as opposed to topping and bringing somebody in from the outside? Yeah, we have done a lot of cultivating from within. You know, we're we're doing something that's never really been done. Uh, I can honestly say, I don't think to my knowledge, there are any property management franchisors in the United States and in the world that are offering uh, a franchise solution for all four sectors of property management and brokerage like PMI is doing. And so the the obstacles that we we're running into you know, I can't read a book. I can't go out and just, you know, project that these these problems are coming as we grow because we're doing something that, in our opinion, has never been built before. And so because of that, we, you know, we try to do our best to make sure we we handle the situations, bring in the right people. But more often than not, we're growing this talent pool, these people, these corporate staff at our, our office, and we've got over 50 that are at our corporate office. We've got some regional mentors out in the field that work out in the field with our franchisees, but we've got over 50 employees just at our corporate office that uh, have been filling in a lot of these senior management roles as the company's grown. And that's fun to see. You know, These guys know the franchise by then. They know our operating system and they know uh, how to make uh, what we need happen. And so we promoted from within even more than bringing in new talent for certain hires like the one I just you know mentioned with brokerage it just makes sense to go out and you know find someone uh, out there but uh, it's also cool to you know cultivate uh, these the talent and and promote them from within Steve one thing I think that's interesting is we talked a little bit about EOS that your organization is an EOS practitioner. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about your take on that. There's EOS is it's kind of become a thing. There's a lot of folks that have a, a surface level mm -hmm. understanding of it, or they're doing it lightly, or they're, they're all in. There's definitely a gradient, but a lot of folks have an awareness. What works for you with EOS? What do you get out of it? What else did you try? What's your take on EOS? Yeah. I mean, for those listeners that don't know what EOS is, um, Gina Wickman wrote a book called Traction. And uh, he's created the EOS or the Entrepreneur Operating System for businesses to, you know, set up a management process for and an operating system for. And and uh, this was one of those things we uh, we brought in a CFO about three years ago and a and a president, um, so I could step to the CEO role. And that's the the CFO and the president came in and said, Steve, you know, this company's, you know doing some amazing things, but you guys don't even have an operating system. And I, I said, what's an operating system? You know, Jordan, I really didn't know what we didn't, what we were missing. And so we read traction as a senior management team. And it was like being hit in the face. I, I never had even thought that, you know, there were these kind of operating systems available for companies like PMI to plug into. And so for us, it was so cool because we could take that operating system and 
implement it into our already existing business and and it has helped us immensely you know just creating that vision and having the goals and the processes uh, and the benchmarks and the scorecards for us to track you know our our daily weekly monthly annual you know successes and or stumbles was just re- really revolutionary for us you know we had our goals and but to have an operating system in place was really key for our business. And is this something that you advocate that franchisees also participate in? We teach EOS to our franchisees. So it's not even something that we recommend. We literally have not just incorporated it at the corporate level. We've rolled it out now to our franchisees where we train them on EOS. Beautiful. I'm curious about another aspect of your training and that's around sales. Talked about growth, growth, can mean different things to different people. It can mean pay-per-click, it can mean digital marketing, it can mean cold calling, doing outbound. When you talk about the first door, the second door, the third door, very different than the 301st, the 303rd. It's interesting to talk to people at 300 doors and say that they're stuck. Mm -hmm. And the first question is, well, how'd you get the first 300 doors? And oftentimes the reality is that they did things that they're no longer willing to do Mm -hmm. at the outset. There's a lot out there. There's some grind there. You're doing some some you're doing some some hard stuff that requires some grit. What is the conversation? What's the type of activities that you walk franchisees through to get that first 10, 20 doors? Well, first of all, we learned that not everyone, not every entrepreneur is a salesman. And especially in the franchise world, sometimes you get franchisees that recognize that they're not the ultimate entrepreneur. And that's one reason why they buy the franchise because they realize that, hey, it's better for me to plug into a proven set system than me try to create it on my own. So a lot of the franchisees we get recognize that uh, they're not perfect at everything. And uh, that's one reason why they get the franchise. But you know what we realized is um, sometimes we get franchisees that are great at accounting but they're terrible at sales or they're great at the operational side of their business, but they're terrible at the management side. And uh, we realized to be and create successful entrepreneurs that we had to create programs uh, for the franchisees that were lacking in any of these areas, which means everyone. And so for the franchisee to do marketing, we realized they've got to have some basic sales skills or we need to create a solution for them to utilize other resources that can do that sales activity for them, uh, which we've done for our franchisees. So, um, you know, I don't want to get into all those programs that we do for marketing for our franchisees, but it's very, um, it's a program that's very put together and we create a digital marketing program for each one of our franchisees to plug into from day one. And that it constitutes all their social media, their blogging, their CR or their uh, SEO. Uh, and then we've got a bunch of grassroots things like direct mailers programs and what we call guerrilla marketing, where you're just out there networking with realtors and, and uh, you know, mortgage companies, investor groups and things like that. So we've really got a well-rounded sales process for our franchisees. And if the franchisee is not a sales mindset person, we offer sales training uh, to our new franchisees too. So they can plug in, just sharpen those uh, skills and just how to be a little bit better of a salesman. 
Growth is a tough road to hoe for a lot of folks. Not everybody does have those chops. And like I said before, for some folks, getting to 300 doors and, and or 200 doors or 100 doors and being profitable is a great outcome. And sometimes the pursuit of growth causes people to sacrifice an outcome that was more probable and more within the scope of their reach. Everybody has to make that decision on their own to, to figure that out. When you think about your own personal ambition and where you want to go, Steve, I'm curious. I'd just love to hear from you. How do you navigate and balance that insatiable desire for more to test yourself, to go big or go home with also finding fulfillment today in the here and the now? How do you, what does that, what does managing that, that dichotomy look like for you? Yeah. You know, we've got big vision at our company. You know, we want to be a global brand, not just a national brand. I said global on purpose. You know, we have a mission statement where we want to be a global property management brand. And so we've got plans to grow outside of the United States, but we've got so much work to do just here. Um, one of our short-term uh, goals is to be a household name to be a household name where people know that PMI Shield, uh, we've got to open more franchises. We've got to help the franchisees that we have just manage a lot more and have a bigger footprint out there. So when people think of a national property management brand, they think of PMI. And so we've got, uh, we've got the short-term goals that we're striving for, but uh, you know, the cool thing about our business is we see the daily successes. You know, we're part of, I keep, saying uh, that we're we're a family and it really feels like that at PMI you know we we see the successes and we celebrate the successes of these franchisees if it's the brand new guy when he gets his first door in we celebrate it as a company you know all 350 of the franchisees we have uh, group pages you know on Facebook and things like that where we chat with one another and high five each other and there's this big family that's all helping each other celebrate the wins. And when there's tough situations or when someone has a problem, they can roll that up on our page and have the family weigh in with their, uh, their experiences and their ideas to handle that problem or that situation. And so um, it's really easy for us to celebrate the small daily, but still focus on that big vision of being a household brand and a, and a global brand. Let's talk a little bit about more about family. You have four sons, correct? Yes. What do you hope that your sons take away from your journey? You know, there's the intention of what you hope for, and then there's the reality because they're just watching you. And my kids are watching me, and there's really not much you can hide. But what do you hope that they take away from this huge part of your life and, and what they're seeing and witnessing? You know, uh, for me... I hope that they've seen the hard work that goes into building a business. And uh, I've always been one that is really just hardcore on work ethic. And uh, to me, sometimes it just means lifting up that, uh, that next rock and, and moving it. And I try to teach my kids to the value of, of work and working hard. You got to be smart and do things smart. But uh, sometimes I see in our franchise that some of our people could be so much more successful if they just would try a little bit more or work a little bit harder. And, uh, you know, as I look at my sons, as they grow up, 
Um, I hope I'm helping them instill the value of having a strong work ethic in their lives, regardless of what they do. You know, um, we talked a little bit earlier on, you know, it doesn't matter to me if they're entrepreneurs or not, you know, but if they've got that integrity uh, built into their character where they're going to go out there and give it their all, um, to me, that's that's what's important. And uh, it doesn't matter whether they're entrepreneurs. Um, it doesn't matter whether they, you know, work at PMI. I'm not grooming my sons to come work at PMI. You know, if they choose to do that someday, you know, that, that would be fun to work together. But uh, I don't put that kind of expectation on, on them. I want them to enjoy what they do and pick the career field that works for them. Well-rounded humans, well-educated, I'm sure is a part of that for you. I'm curious, you mentioned traction. What other books come to mind as a part of Steve's canon of entrepreneurship? If you were going to put, you know, let's say your top five books that you really feel like you could come back to over and over again. I've, I've read a lot of books that were a thrill. I've read other books that were uh, maybe less of a thrill. I think about Simple Numbers by Greg Crabtree. I've probably read that book five times. And the stuff I come back to, it really holds the gold that that sustains me. What's in your top five, Steve? Yeah. You know, I uh, I like the self-help. I like the motivational books. I love Anthony Robbins. You know, I, I grew up with him and, and Kiyosaki. Um, Stephen, Stephen Covey is one of my favorites as well. Um, you know, Gino Wickman, I think I've read all of his books now, um, because I like traction so much. I, I, I kept picking up other books that he's read or written and, and, you know, those are the type of books that I thrive on. I like the, the motivational books that, you know, encourage me to be better and to step up my game and to just, you know, make life bigger and better and and focus on those goals that are going to push me to be a better person, be a better dad, be a better husband and and be a better boss at work. Iconic entrepreneur, who do you look up to? Um my dad even though he was not an entrepreneur, I look up to my dad, you know, he taught me how to work hard. He didn't give me anything growing up as far as uh, when I wanted a a BB gun, he said how are you going to make the money to do that? You know, I was mowing lawns and and walking dogs at, you know, seven, eight years old. And even though my father was not a, an entrepreneur per se, he taught me how to be an entrepreneur by not giving me everything that I wanted and teaching me how to go out and win and, and uh, achieve those goals that I wanted. I love that. That's a great share, man. I'd love to end it here. Steve, in your experience, for all the unique things that have happened to you over your lifetime, what's one cause that you believe in and that receives your time and effort? That's a great question. You know, uh, my wife and I participate in a, a devoted to children charity in Haiti, and uh, that's been the focus of a lot of uh, our efforts over the last couple of years. Uh, we're taking what we've learned there. And we're creating a, a 501c3 through uh, PMI. It's going to be a separate entity. So it's not part of the PMI company, but we're going to run a PMI gives or a PMI cares. Can you imagine um, 
you know, with managing the number of properties that PMI has. Right now, we're managing over 90,000 properties, but we have the ability to touch a lot of guests, a lot of tenants, mm. a lot of owners, and we're invoicing or we're billing our, you know, each one of these guests, tenants, uh, we could create a little tab or a little box on the bottom of that payment process. Would you like to round this payment up from, you know, $276 to $278 for the PMI Gives Foundation where we're able to put that into some great charities. Um, this That's the focus on where we're going to be going uh, with this. My wife and my business partner uh, are going to run that. And uh, we're really looking forward to that because we think uh, based on where PMI is going with the growth and touch that we have, we think we can make a huge difference uh, with that type of foundation. That was the most Steve Hart answer I could have expected. <laughs> that was only out of the mouth of a visionary. I love the way you just tied that and connected to property management. It's beautiful, brother. Well, I appreciate you coming on and I appreciate your commitment to the people that you're working with and to the impact that you can have on the broader community. So thank you for everything you're doing and it's great to have you on. Hey, thank you very much. And I appreciate uh, the invite to be here. Until next time. Thank you. Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is a question you want to ask me? Can you stump me? Can you throw me something hard, perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with? Throw it at me. I'll do my best to try and answer that question, to dissect it, to parse out the nuance and maybe help you get a bit more clarity. I'm looking for questions as the basis for creating content and you're looking for answers as the basis for clarity and wouldn't it be perfect if those two things matched up? Drop a comment, send me, send me an email, jordan at leadsimple.com. Let's stay in the conversation. Peace.